Hey there, welcome to the Courage Cast. My name is Andrea Crisp, and this is episode number 49. If you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you have likely heard me refer to the Enneagram as my go-to personality typology. Well, today we are finally talking everything Enneagram, and I'm ridiculously excited about it. Today's guest is none other than Enneagram expert, Beth McCord, and in this episode, she addresses each of the nine types and how they can move past their fear and walk towards their dreams. So if you've ever wanted to know a little bit more about yourself, then stay tuned because you are definitely going to be enlightened. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week, we'll share real stories of influential women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, Andrea Crisp, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. How many mornings do you wake up and wonder what happened to your dreams? You think about the could-haves and the should-haves. Well, it's time to own your breakthrough and make sure you are living your purpose. In other words, doing exactly what you are meant to be doing. Life is too short. So sign up for a free 30-minute strategy session with me, and let's take that first step together. Okay, friends, I am having a little bit of a fangirl moment here on the Courage Cast because today's guest is an Enneagram coach and expert, and you know how much I love the Enneagram. Beth McCord is the founder of Your Enneagram Coach and is passionate about coming alongside individuals and helping them rewrite their story, allowing them to see that lasting change, meaningful relationships, and a life of deep purpose is possible. This passion is what drove her to create this community, a safe place for individuals to explore the Enneagram. Now get ready because this episode is jam-packed with so much goodness. Here is the amazing Beth McCord. Beth, I'm really excited to have you on the Courage Cast today, all the way from Tennessee, which is one of my favorite states. I used to live in Tennessee. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's a joy. Now, are you located in Nashville or around Nashville? Around Nashville. So I'm in Franklin, which is about 20, 30 minutes south of Nashville. Okay. Now I used to live in Memphis and Mm -hmm. I was there for about four years. So I love the South and love everything about Tennessee. It's one of my favorite places. So I'm really glad that um, you've joined me all the way from Franklin. Yeah. Thanks. Now, one of the things that I am going to start, it's a new thing for me today, so kind of bear with me, but I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions just off the top of your head to answer and um, just to see where we go. So are you cool with that? I am, though I will laugh because type nines usually balk at these things because they're like, I don't know, but I will do my very best. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. That's good to know. Okay. Who is the person you are most inspired by? Okay. Most inspired by, and are we talking humans or can I give the generic Jesus answer? Should I stick with the actual, like more today's day? I would say like people you have known or know of. Okay. Now. I would then say my husband, because my husband has done so much. He's a pastor and we've been married. We got married when we were 20. And as anyone knows, when you get married that young, you don't even know yourself, let alone each other. And so there's some bumpy roads, um, but he really 
took the lead in understanding himself and why he did what he did and growing and changing and transforming and asking for forgiveness and all that stuff. So he really took the lead, <clears throat> which then helped me to take that dive as well. And as we'll talk about the Enneagram, my personality, the type nine, we know ourselves the least. And so had he not taken the lead in that and really allowing his identity to be in Christ versus what people thought, I probably wouldn't have done it, or at least to the degree that I have, which then means I wouldn't have had the kind of life change and the transformation that I'm experiencing today. So he has been a huge inspiration to me. That's awesome. Okay. What is your favorite book? Um, gosh, that is a good question. I grew up with a reading disability, so I am not a huge book reader, but I am. It's kind of this weird. I only read books that really I'm learning from and that are really going to benefit me because I'm a pretty slow reader. But I am going to say, hmm. Well, I think the first thing that comes to my mind, because of course a lot of Enneagram books are what I read. And so if I had to just pick one, it'd be called um the complete Enneagram because she does a really good job giving an overview of the Enneagram, but also bringing it um, down into some of the deeper layers that I'm really interested in. Um, so that's probably the one I would say. Well, I haven't read that one, so I'm definitely going to have to put that yeah. on my list. Yeah, it's really sure. good. Now, what is the first thing you do when you have free time? Oh, that's easy. <laughs> well, at least, especially now. So um, for Valentine's Day, my husband got me an Eno. I think that's how you say it. But they're a hammock that you can tie between trees. And those. they're kind of made out of um, parachute material. And so my family knows me well, because as nines, we love relaxing and have no problem doing it. <laughs> Whereas I know some types are like, but there's so much to be done. I'm like, no. Nah we'll get to it later. Um, so my favorite thing to do is get the, you know, out and put it outside in the backyard between two pine trees and relax. Now I actually have, people might laugh at this, but this is a great example of a nine hard at work. I have a hundred foot ethernet cable and a long extension cord so I can plug into my computer and work outside in my Eno. So <laughs> yeah, so I'm working hard and relaxing all at the same time, but that's probably one of my favorite spots to be. Now, what would you say your superpower is? My superpower is uh, being able to step into everyone's shoes and understand why they do what they do and giving them a lot of grace and space to be them, but also to help them to see the best version of themselves and helping them to get there. Awesome. Now, if you were to take a vacation within the next couple of weeks, mm -hmm. where would you like to go? Well, I actually am going on a vacation Tuesday and it is one of my favorite places to go. Um, we go to a place called Rockbridge, Missouri, and it's a fly uh, fishing trout ranch farm. And we've been going for over 30 years. So I've been going ever since I was a little girl with my dad. Um, and so now we take our whole family um, and we go down there and it's so beautiful. Cause well, one thing it's in the deep in the Ozark. So there's no internet and cell phone coverage. Um, you have to kind of like go 30 minutes to like get reception. So even though we're only there about five days, it feels like we're there for a really long time because there's nothing to distract us. Just being together, being in the outdoors, um, really great food. There's a red mill with a waterfall. 
Um, and so for me as a nine, that's like heaven because I'm just out in nature. I'm with my family. We're all connected and there's nothing distracting us. So it's really great. Awesome. I love Missouri. I also used to live in Missouri. So, oh. do, so you know what I'm talking about. Do you know, I do know I've been floating in Missouri and Arkansas for years and, um, I'm actually taking a trip back there not long from now. So cool. Um, the last question is describe yourself in three words. Okay. I am kind, I'm receptive and I'm warm. Oh, that's awesome. And I think I feel that from you. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> Radiate that. And so now one of the things that we are going to talk about for sure is the Enneagram, which I absolutely love. And anyone who's listening to the Courage cast knows that. And I'm a little bit obsessed with it. And I'm going to kind of fangirl over you a little bit because I feel like you are definitely an Enneagram expert and have all of the knowledge that <laughs> I ever want to know about the Enneagram. But um, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're passionate about and who you serve? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I'm, as we've said, Beth McCord and I, as we said, live in Tennessee and I've been married 22 years and I have a, a 19 year old son and a 17 year old daughter. Uh, my, well, we'll get into that later. I was going to tell you their types. Well, I guess I can. My husband's a six, my son is a six and my daughter's a two and I'm a type nine. So for those out there that do know the Enneagram, um, <clears throat> and up until the last two years, I have been kind of a, I would say a typical nine who doesn't really know what they want to do. You know, do they have any worth and value? And we just kind of float around and we kind of go along to get along. I'm really great at a lot of things, but didn't really land on any one true passion, except what was funny. I have been studying Enneagram for 15 years and using it as a pastor's wife and discipling people with it. And, um, because of some financial situation and my husband having to um, resign from a job, we kind of felt, or we kind of saw, huh, we need to have some more income coming in because God wasn't providing a steady job for him. So God just kind of said, you know what, it's your turn. You need to get out there and, and show the world what you can do. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I was like, wait, what? I don't think so. Um, but deep down, I knew I had abilities and things that God had been doing in and through me. I also worked for Michael Hyatt, who is an amazing man, who has a great um, website presence at michaelhyatt.com. And I was his personal assistant. And so I got to see behind the scenes of what it's like to have your own online business with online courses and how things work and operate to a degree. Of course, I, I don't know all of the insights um, and outs of that, but I really got to see how it's possible. And I really wanted to bring to the world the message of the gospel, but for each type, because each of us have core lies and fears and desires that really inhibit us from fully understanding the grace of God in its truest and deepest form. Now we all believe it, you know, for, for Christians, it's like, yes, I believe that sounds great. It's wonderful. But then there's always something that's kind of blocking us. And so it's been my passion to help people to become free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame so that they can experience the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom that they have in Christ. So how I've done that is I've developed a coaching system that takes people through discovering their type, exploring their type, and then becoming their truest self. And so I do that through... Um, through a presentation on the Enneagram called Discovering You, which is on my 
um, website. And then I take them through Exploring You, which is where we have five guide sheets, where I break down their personality so that it can truly understand not just themselves and why they do what they do, which is what the Enneagram is about. Why do you think, feel, and behave in particular ways? But I want them to then experience what it's like to be at their best and what that looks like for their personality type. But then more importantly, what is the message of the gospel to their type? So think about going to a foreign country with the message of the gospel. You can maybe say it in English and they might understand, or there's a translator that translates it and, um, you know, they get it, but it's still kind of broken up. It's, it's hard to fully understand. But if you were to speak the same message in their mother tongue, they're going to understand it quicker and it'll be more impactful and powerful. So for each of the nine types, there are different ways that we need to address them and talk to them so that they fully understand what the gospel is saying and how it frees them. So that's the end goal that I have is for people to experience what they truly are in Christ, which is free, forgiven, and loved. So that's what I do. That's amazing. I learned about the Enneagram probably about a year, year and a half ago now. And, um, I had actually, you know, speaking of Michael Hyatt, I had read blog posts that he had posted with a link to an Enneagram assessment. Mm -hmm. And that is, was my first introduction. Now I have to say the first time I took it, I took it and was like, okay, whatever, and moved on. Mm -hmm. Not long after that, I had a friend approach me and he said, "Um, Hey, have you heard of this Enneagram? And I was like, well, yeah, but I'm not really sure about it. And like, I really didn't do much with it. So, but yeah, I've heard about it. And anyways, he was like, I am obsessed with this. And it kind of started um, him and myself and his wife and a few of our friends on this massive journey or down the rabbit hole, basically, um, of discovering the Enneagram, which led me then to you. Mm -hmm. um, We met briefly um, about a year and a half ago. And it's been revolutionary to my life um, as well as my own coaching and learning how to, you know, um, help others through their type as well. But I'm interested, like, how did you get um, interested in the Enneagram or introduced to it? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, I know. And no one knew about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, or at least on the kind of Christian evangelical side of things. But yeah, so 15 years ago, um, we were in seminary and my husband was taking courses and that was just a rocky time for us. I mean, seminary is just really hard in general. And he was there part-time or I guess full-time really, and then worked part-time um, on a campus doing Christian ministry stuff. And so we're just a really busy life. We had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. So just really busy life and not bringing in much income, if, if at all. <laughs> and so um, there's just a lot of stressors and, you know, that's just hard. So you have fall in your common pitfalls and then you don't know why, like, why do I keep doing this? And it gets really discouraging. So that's where I was. Um, and then I had a friend who was going to a counselor at the same time at the seminary. And that counselor introduced her to the Enneagram. And then they then in turn introduced me. And it was at that time I read Richard Rohr's book, A Christian Perspective on the Enneagram. And since then, there's been other really great perspectives from a Christian perspective on the Enneagram. There's Marilyn Van Sill's book called Self to Lose, Self to Find. And you can, I think, get that off her website, marilynvansill.com. 
And then there's uh, Chris Hewart's and his is the Sacred Enneagram. And so there's different books out there that have been really um, impactful just in the last year, year and a half that have been really good. But way back then, that is what we had. And it's a good book, uh, a little complex, and it was a little bit hard to understand. But when I landed on type nine, it was like the whole world opened up like wow, someone just read my internal diary. And why that was so impactful for me is because, like I said, my husband was doing a lot of his own inner work and of course would like me to have done my own. But like I said, type nines, we have a hard time understanding ourselves. Basically, it's like we walk around in a fog. And so when people say, like that's why I was saying earlier, well, I hope I can answer these questions. Yeah. And the reason is, is that it's like we're in a fog. And you know how when you're driving, if you're in a really thick fog, you have to go slower and you have, you know, if you really want it to find the Walgreens that's down the street, you have to go slow, but you have to keep going. It will finally appear, but it's not going to appear right away. And so nines take time to process their thoughts and feelings, but then they have a hard time saying what their desires are, even if they do find them, because it's like, well, what if someone disagrees? You know, they don't like conflict. We want to go along to get along. Um, and so if, if we say something that someone else may not like or be happy about, we would rather just not say it at all. So, um, so a lot of times we kind of um, minimize ourselves and negate ourselves or not focus on ourselves so that we can just blend in and go along to get along. So at that stage in my life, that's kind of where I was, but that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, even though we're trying to avoid conflict, we're actually making conflict. So when I read about the nine, I realized, oh, that's why I do what I do. And that's why I think the way I think. And that's where these problems come in. And so I realized that um, in order to become a healthier version of myself for, for me, but our marriage and our family, um, I was going to need to do a lot of more inner work. And this was the tool that was going to bring that self-observation that I needed in the aha moments. But because there wasn't a lot of gospel-centered um, perspective on it, my husband and I, we just every time we talked about it, that's kind of how we were discussing it. Like, okay, so we read this book and this is their thoughts and feelings. Now, how do we see it from our viewpoint and the way we believe? And so over the course of 15 years, we've just, you know, had a lot of practice in doing that and him being a pastor, that is just the way we talk and how we view things. Um, so that's just kind of how it all came about, but it was so helpful because now as my husband and I talk through things, we are able to um, really say what's going on in our heart and our mind and our reactions. We can apologize more quickly because we know that what we did may have come from a specific uh, viewpoint or vantage point that maybe we didn't intend to hurt the other person, but now we can understand why it would hurt them. And so we can own up and apologize for that. And But because we know that God's grace has already covered everything and that we're free and forgiven by him, it allows us to move forward by asking forgiveness or giving clarity and all those things and not worrying about what other people think because we already know that we're his beloved. So, so it's been all those years that we have really studied it and practiced it. Um, I think being a type nine gives me an advantage, not the advantage, but an advantage because we naturally understand all, uh, personality types, their perspectives, more than actually we understand our own. So, which is why I had to do all the work on my own self. Um, but I do understand others pretty easily. We like to mediate and help people like, oh, I see your viewpoint in here. So-and-so, don't you understand? And, um, and so that's just kind of a superpower that I have 
as a coach that I can really be there for my clients and help them um, to see themselves in a new light, even when they're in their own weakness and struggles so that they can really see, okay, here's the path that you really want to be on. Um, and so, yeah, that's the advantage that I have, but that's the path that I've been on. And it's, it's not easy, you know, self-observation is not always fun and um, it can be hard and trying and it, but it's absolutely worth it. Um, hands down. So I really recommend it for all people. You know, it was interesting that you said you were introduced to it and you've kind of had to learn the Christian perspective also, you know, with the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Of course, that is the only way I know it um, because it's introduced to me through that lens. Mm -hmm. I'm very fascinated when people who aren't coming from the Christian perspective, how do they view it? Is there a difference between the two perspectives or? Um, yeah, in a sense, um, I would say the Enneagram in itself is neutral. Um, and so whatever worldview or religious view you have, you could pull it into that perspective. It, it just kind of can go because it's just how we think, feel and behave and how we can grow and transform. Um, because I, I've not really taken the time to view it another way. I can't honestly say I know how they use it. They use it really for self-awareness and observation. Um, I think the big difference is when I'm coaching, I guess what I would say is a lot of people, if they're not um, a Christian, I'm not sure how they would uh, view transformation. But for me, I view transformation that when I'm seeing how my personality is acting in the, let's say we call it, there's healthy, average, and unhealthy. When, when you're living out in the healthy realm, that's when you're, you know, believe and trust in who you are in Christ. You're resting there. You're surrendering and depending on him to bring about the transformation and the change. And then when we start to wander away in our thought processes and our heart, we start to think, oh, I'm, I guess I'm on my own. I got to do it in my own strength. And we start kind of trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and doing it in our own way, which again, like for me as a type nine, it's like, oh, my own way is to avoid conflict. Well, that doesn't really work. <laughs> and so my own way, my own strategies do not work. Now, if I were to remove the Bible and scripture, I could say to myself, okay, well, just enter in the conflict or just do this. But that can just only last so long, in my opinion. Um, I can implement some things, but in my own strength, I get tired and weary really fast. And so I only see real transformation and change coming from Christ and the Holy Spirit who enables me to have the strength and the courage to move forward and them being the ones that mold and shape my heart into a new heart um, so that true transformation can come. So that's how I view it. And a lot of people ask me, well, can you, you know, do this with non-believers? And sure, you absolutely can. I just don't know how to bridge the gap on the transformational piece. I don't really know how to say, well, here's then how you, you do it. Um, and that's, you know, I'm not trying to, um, to say that they're in a sense wrong. I, I just only view it in, in one way because I do believe transformation comes from Christ only. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, as a one, I think it was super eye-opening for me when I read it, um, especially the description. And at first I, uh, hated it. I didn't <laughs> want um, that to be my type at all. And I, in, um, you know, typical textbook fashion, 
took the Enneagram test eight times <laughs> just <laughs> right. to make sure I was a perfectionist and, right. and I was, and it has really been a challenge for me, um, to see myself in, in that way. But, but it also illuminated so much for me because I started to realize that things that had been said in my life as a child, um, had been reinforced, um, through the type as well. Mm -hmm. And, and then here I was, um, realizing that I am trying to do everything, um, perfectly all the time. Right. And, uh, it really, really was, I don't know. It took a while for me to, to figure it out. And I, I don't know where I would fall necessarily on the healthy or unhealthy scale of it. But, um, one of the things I think probably the most revolutionary for me in, in the process, and it came a little later on, it, even though when I read about the, the type one, it, it made sense. I didn't really get it for myself. Mm -hmm. That was receiving grace. Mm -hmm. And you know, here I was all of these years. I mean, I've been for ever and ever and ever. And now all of a sudden I'm questioning, do I know what grace really is? And have I actually received grace? And I think that part of um, understanding my type was probably the most life-changing for me in, in trying to understand and figure that out. Yeah. So I would say the exact same. And what's really interesting is when I have clients come to me with their type, usually most of us don't want our type. There's like another type that we um, see as better or not as bad. Um, and what's interesting is that when type ones come to me and they've read through the different levels of development, they usually come and say, I just need you to know that I think I'm a really unhealthy one. And then I get to bring the good news of, well, of course you think you're unhealthy because you have a really strong inner critic that doesn't want you to think anything else. Um, it's constantly berating and putting you down, which is why it's really hard to accept grace. But the good news is that God took all of your sins, all of your weaknesses, all the errors, mistakes. He's taken that on himself and he has completely wiped them away. But not only that, He's imputed or put on you his righteousness. So that when God looks on you, he doesn't see you and the mistakes, he sees Christ's righteousness. And so it's not really up to you whether you can accept the grace. The grace is already there. Um, and so we don't have to keep beating ourselves up or, you know, hitting ourselves on the back like with uh, chains, which is kind of what Martin Luther was doing before the Reformation. Um, Grace has already been put on us. Grace has already been given to us. And the process, though, is, is not do I receive the grace, therefore is it true? It's, it's true, therefore you can receive the grace. Um, but it makes sense why a type one struggles with their type because the inner critic is so, it's like a megaphone in your ear blaring at you all the mistakes that you're making and others. And that's really hard to come up under. But the good news is that we can parent our personality and say, I know we see all these things, but here's what's really true. Um, we do not need to think in this way or act in this way or believe in this way, though it feels 100% accurate. It's not necessarily true. Like, for instance, how to put dishes in the dishwasher. 
there could be a most efficient, best way of doing it, but does it really matter? You know, yeah. and the ones are like, yes, you know, yeah. but ultimately does it really matter? And can we be in some way set free? That doesn't mean you just throw the dishes in there, but do we have, does it have to be a must and a should, or can it be, I get to, I get to put them in this way because it's going to be the most efficient. Um, does that kind of make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and um, yeah, yeah, it makes a huge difference to even understand yourself just a little bit more and yeah. to, you know, when, even when you're talking about, you know, the critical inner voice and I just naturally assumed everyone thought that way. Right. Like, doesn't everyone think this yeah. critically and like negative and, um, and no, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> And, and they don't, and each type has their own core weakness. So um, if people go to my website and they take the assessment, they click on um, take the free assessment, there's three steps there. There's the assessment itself. The second step is an overview of all nine types and it's a free PDF download. So they can just download it. And on that PDF, it has an overview of all nine types. And what you want is to find the type that has your core fear, core desire, core weakness and the message your heart longs to hear. And they're all right there. There's these little, these little boxes with all the types. Um, but we're running away from a core fear all the time. We're running towards a desire that we have and we have this core weakness. Now the weakness is kind of like when Paul was like, please take this thorn, you know, out of my side. Um, but it doesn't fully go away, but God is powerful in our weakness and they remain there so that we can depend and surrender on him. And so what we'll realize is that we each have these elements, but the good news is that the gospel still is true for all types so that no matter what our weakness is, whatever our struggles are, he has taken care of it and covered us with his righteousness. And so we can then more um, easily, I don't know if easily is the right word, but we can more effectively look at ourselves in the healthy average and unhealthy parts, knowing it's all been taken care of. We can rest in that truth. And so the more we can actually see our, the parts of us that aren't great, but knowing it's been taken care of, then we can be more honest about it and talk about it more freely. So like if I, my husband and I are having a disagreement and I'm starting to feel something, I can more, um, uh, easily, or I guess effectively say, you know, this is what I'm feeling, or this is where I'm angry. This is what's happening. You know, I'm sorry, because I already know it's been taken care of. And so I don't have to worry about what my husband's thinking about me because I already know what my heavenly father thinks of me. And this goes for every type. And so when people are looking at all nine types on this uh, free sheet, now your core fear, the fear of being wrong, bad, evil, inappropriate, and corruptible, I don't want that to happen either. I don't, I don't want to be those things, but it's not the driving force behind everything I do. It's not the primary thing. It is a part of why I do what I do because we use all nine types, but it's not my primary. And so when people look at this, we're just trying to find the main thing that's driving them. Mm -hmm. So that would be pretty helpful for them as well as when they're looking for their type. Mm -hmm. Now I'm interested to know, and because, you know, talk a lot about courage and bravery on the courage cast, and, right. you know, taking risks and really kind of stepping into what it is that you're called to do for each of the nine tape types. Do you think you could maybe give us an overview of like, what would be that, um, or that 
the type might face and how they could move past it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for the type one, they're called a moral perfectionist. And again, like they don't want to do anything wrong, bad and evil, corruptible. Um, and so for them, they are always wanting things to be perfect so that they can appease that, that inner critic. So what's really courageous of them is when they stand up to the inner critic, not in a combative way, but a loving parental guiding way and say, hey, I hear you. It would be awesome if everything was perfect like it is going to be in heaven. But the good news is Christ has taken care of everything. He said it's complete. And here's where we can rest. We can move forward with much more childlikeness and freedom and grace towards ourselves and others, which is going to be really hard for the type one. But when they can do that, you're going to find a much more transformed one who still can be very ethical and moral, keep things, because we need, we need ones to be that way. We need people that are willing to keep principles and standards and rules so that we're not just an anarchy. But we also want them to have a lightheartedness, a childlikeness, not childishness, mm -hmm. a childlikeness in a sense of freedom. Uh, the type two is the supportive advisor, and they love to support and help people, but they're mainly doing it because if I support someone and help someone, then maybe they'll be thankful and grateful for me, which means that I'm loved and I'm uh, worthy or I'm, um, I'm not dispensable. But what they need to do is to have courage in seeing what their own needs are and how to take care of themselves because they matter also. And that, um, that their worth and value isn't based on if other people appreciate them. Their worth and value is based off that Christ wants them, that Christ came for them and that he loves them. And so by them resting in that and taking time for themselves, and allowing themselves to be replenished, then they can truly give to others without strings attached, meaning they don't have to give to get appreciation. They can just freely give. And that would be really phenomenal for them. The type three is a successful achiever and they are striving to be admired and respected and successful. They fear being a failure to um, be exposed. And so what's hard for them is they have for their entire life put aside their own feelings and their own image to take on whatever successful image their community, the people they're around, sees as admirable. But what would be really courageous of them is to take the time to go inward and to find their true self, which takes a lot of time. And it can be kind of scary because it feels almost like there's an emptiness or blackness there. And to take the time to find their authentic self and to be more genuine to feel their feelings and to express what they're feeling towards others. And that would feel like they're being exposed, but it's gonna bring a lot of value to others by seeing who they really are. And what they'll see is that their love for simply being themselves, they don't always have to achieve. But that would be really courageous for them to do that. Um, so before I move into uh, four, five, and six, do you have any questions on those? No, I, I love that. I love how you're explaining that because it's it's something I've not really thought about in that way with mm -hmm. how you take those steps forward and what that would do, what that would look like. So no, this is great. Okay, good. Okay, so then like the type fours, they feel um, that there's something defective or flawed in them, and this creates envy that they look at everyone else as if they have 
things that they don't have and that there's something missing. But for them, what they need to do is to realize, wait, no, Christ created me. I was created perfectly unique and special with certain gifts and talents that he put in me. And so to be courageous would be to see everyone on the, on an even playing field and to nurture themselves and saying, I don't need to be envious because everything I need, I have. Christ is not leaving me limited or plain or mundane. He created me specially unique and he sees me and understands me for exactly who I am. And by taking those steps and seeing others, not as if they're above them or below them, that everyone is equal would be very courageous for them. The type five, they fear that they're going to be completely depleted. Like literally they'll talk about being annihilated or a catastrophic depletion by being with people too much. So see, they only have so many, so much internal resources in being with other people um, that if they're with people, they're surprised or um, obligations placed on them or they're intruded upon, it can really deplete their inner resources very quickly. And so they want to kind of get away and have private time or alone time to recharge their internal batteries and to think and process their feelings and thoughts. But and they also feel like they don't want to put their needs onto others, like they're going to, their needs are too big, that they would actually be harmful to others. So if they take the time to realize, you know what, Christ is the spring of living water. He is the one that replenishes my soul. I can drink as much from him as I need, that he is not going to go dry, and that I, his, my needs are not a problem for him. If anything, he loves to lavish on me. And by them taking that courageous step to say, how can I um, be filled up by him and replenished in my energies and resources, and then give myself towards others and not be afraid that I'm going to be depleted, that would be a very courageous thing for them. The type six is the loyal guardian. And the loyal guardians, just like they said, they're loyal, dutiful. Um, they fear fear itself. They fear not being guided and supported and targeted, blamed. And they have an internal committee. So the one that we talked about has one strong inner critic. The sixes have an internal committee that chimes in with all sorts of advice and, well, what about this? What about that? It could be this. Don't forget about that. And so they're scanning the horizon for possible worst case scenarios or how to prevent bad things from happening. And so, but because this inner committee is coming from so many different angles, it can bring confusion and self-doubt. So where they can be very courageous is by trusting that God is their almighty God savior, counselor, strength, rock, staff, all those beautiful analogies, the lion uh, who can protect them and that he loves them and he knows exactly what their needs are and he loves to provide for his sheep because he is the good shepherd. And by resting in that God knows exactly what's around the corner, he knows what's going to happen and he says um, everything works for the good for those who are in Christ Jesus, and to rest in that, that is courageous for them. And actually, sixes, they'll feel like they're not courageous, but in fact, they're some of the most courageous on the Enneagram because they're constantly battling anxiety of some form, whether mild or a lot, and yet they keep pressing forward in life. So if there are sixes out there, I want them to know that they are constantly battling anxiety by pushing forward with courage, so they can take courage that they are courageous. Awesome. Even if they don't feel like it. Yeah. yeah. 
And it's interesting because I've had a conversation with a friend of mine who is a six before, and we talk about the inner critic. And she said to me, she's like, well, you know, I know you're having one voice. She goes, but imagine having many. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We laugh about that because um, I think, well, trust me, I feel like mine's loud enough. I can't imagine having other ones. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's true. I mean, it's a different um, weakness, right? Mm -hmm. And, And I'm interested, like in the five, I didn't realize so much about them being depleted. And I resonated with everything you're saying. And I was like, maybe I'm a five. (laughs) I don't think I am, but um, everything you were talking about, I was like, I get that. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. So introverts will probably lean towards that because, but fives are the, um, what you would think as introverted, but there are extrovert fives. And so we have to pull the distinction, distinction a little bit. So obviously introverts can be with people for so long because they get depleted from people and then extroverts get charged by people. But this is the, um, how I describe a five, think about a cell phone battery that's brand new. Like you just bought your new iPhone. That battery is going to be like an extrovert. That's going to last into the next day. Like it can go on and on and on. An introvert would be more like a phone that lasts maybe three fourths of the day. And then you got to go plug it in. Well, a five, even if they're extrovert, they're going to have like between 20 and 25% that lasts throughout the day. So they have to ration their internal resources. So it's not like they're going to go streaming Netflix or live, you know, sports games because it's just going to deplete their battery really quickly. And so you can think about intrusions that people place on them. And this could be just like they're, they're reading, they're trying to gain their energy and think and process. And someone just opens the door and asks a quick question. Well, that is an intrusion and that can deplete them. And it seems so for those that are extrovert, like what, I don't get it, but it really is a significant thing. And so what we want them to do is to know how they can recharge by being alone and people understanding that, but also that they can rely on Christ to really recharge and replenish them in unique ways. And so, um, you know, for intrusions, what it's like is if someone takes your phone and you only have 5% left and they're going to like stream a video, like, here, let me show you this. And it's like, no, don't. Yeah, yeah. Like, you have no idea. I have nothing left. Um, that's how desperate it feels for a five. And so that's kind of helpful for people to know the differences between just being introverted and needing some time to recharge and feeling desperate. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Okay. Mm. I want to hear about the sevens, eights. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So type sevens are the entertaining optimist and they have lots of energy. They're constantly on the move, ready to go for new things. They don't want to be deprived, trapped in emotional pain. Definitely don't want to be bored or missing out on anything fun. Big FOMOs. Um, But they really want to be satisfied and content. Now, their core weakness is gluttony. So they feel like they have this emptiness inside. So kind of think of it like as an empty bucket, but it has a bunch of holes in it. And, you know, when you're starving, you have hunger pains. And it's like, oh, I've got to fill myself up. Well, that's how they feel just about life as a whole. So it's not just about food. It's about filling themselves with experiences and stimulation and excitement because they don't want to be bored or, have, or having to deal with internal anxieties and negativity and all that kind of stuff. But for them to be courageous, what that would look like is for them to not become completely still and boring. We're not looking for that, but we're wanting them to realize that all of the things they can do, all the experiences will never fill them up. 
So what we want them to realize is what's going to actually fill them up is by plugging those holes up. And how to do that is to be grateful and to savor and to be present in the moment. So when they're present in the moment and they're thinking about all the blessings they have and they're experiencing the wonderful things that they have in their life, they will have gratitude. And the more they can savor the moment, the more gratitude they will have. And that's what plugs up these holes. Now, we're on this side of heaven, so it's not going to be complete and full, but it will fill up so they're starting to feel contentment and joy and satisfaction in ways they've never experienced. So that would be uh, courageous for them. Now, the type eight, they're the protective challengers. They fear being weak and powerless at the mercy of other people. Um, they don't want to be manipulated or controlled, and they really want to protect themselves. So they have this need to have excess control and intensity and to exert themselves and to really just be passionate and to go for it. And they can be very blunt and straightforward. They're the most authentic on the Enneagram, meaning they'll say it like it is, but sometimes that can be very abrasive and harsh. So where the A would be um, really courageous is for them, I call them snowplows. And um, as you know, those big snowplows we need, I grew up in the Midwest, we need those big snowplows to plow highways and roads so people can get to hospitals and such. You can't just get a bunch of people out there with shovels. So we need those powerful machines to make a way. And where's, what's courageous for the eight is not just to plow a path. All eights can do that. It's how are they going to plow the path? And what we need for AIDS to do is to take time to recognize those that are around them and how they're impacting people. Meaning, if there are cars or people standing in front of their snowplow, can they recognize them and ask them to get behind them so that they can plow a path for them? And so that recognition, taking that pause and that time to consider people and how to help them, that's courageous for an eight. And then type nines, like myself, uh, we dislike conflict. We don't like being overlooked. We don't like having inharmonious relationships or tension. We just want peace and their stability. Seems pretty simple to us. <laughs> um, but the problem is by wanting to go along to get along and merging with other people, we lose ourselves. We don't know ourselves. And so we don't think our presence matters. We don't need to show up very much, you know, what are we worth? So what's courageous for the nine is to realize, no, our presence does matter. God pursued us and came to save us, that we really mattered that much. And he has called us to certain purposes to glorify himself and to bless others. And that if we uh, pull back, we're actually hoarding those gifts and those abilities. We're not blessing people, which is really what nines want to do. We want to make people happy and bless them. But we think that, well, I don't matter, so we just don't show up. Well, that's not blessing people. That's doing the opposite. So we need to show up and bless others. Now, nines will go, but that's being arrogant or prideful or selfish. No, nines aren't going to be that arrogant, prideful person. But by showing up and having self-confidence in what God has given them, will then in turn bless others. So we have to wake up, know what our abilities are, and show up and bless others. And that's being courageous for a nine. That is so great. I'd like to hear all of those types and what it takes, because I think sometimes when we are thinking about like just jumping into something new or doing something, it's, you know, you think, oh, well, you must be just facing the same thing I'm facing. Mm -hmm. And the reality is there are so many other factors for the different types that they are wrestling with. Right. And need to overcome. And, and it's so good to know. I mean, 
I know because I know a little bit more about the Enneagram that there's so much more than what you just even shared. It was just probably like the tip of the iceberg on the different types, but so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like for you, yeah. you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, when your husband had um, lost his job and you mm-hmm. were looking to move into something new, what was that like for you personally? Well, there's two things. There was um, definitely all the years that I've been studying the Enneagram and discipling people in our churches and watching their lives transform and grow. I didn't have anything formal like what I do now. Like I didn't have all of the guide sheets and the different things that I've created. But I knew that that the Enneagram with the gospel was powerful. But I didn't believe that I could bring much change myself. And yet I did. There's just these two sides in I'm like, well, if someone sees it and calls me out on it, oh, well, then I'll show up. But that's just not going to happen because we're hiding so much. Um, and so we have to show up ourselves. So it's really hard. It's almost like you have to um, mentally get outside yourself and push. And so what happens with a nine is it's like we're, we're elephants. And so if an elephant's laying down, especially if we're in a mud pit and we're just kind of sloshing around, eh, we may not get up. Um, we're a little cozy there, but that doesn't benefit anyone. But when an elephant gets up and starts charging forward with passion, you better get out of the way. We're going to be pretty dynamic. And so it's when God wakes us up and he gives us a calling and we see that calling and feel that passion, we can actually do a lot. And God had just set my life up in such a way with all the different resources in the last, you know, 15 years plus, um, that everything made sense and came clear. And it really is the Holy Spirit. Um, the, one of the first things that we started to do, um, well, when I designed the, the plan I have, the discovering, exploring, and becoming, and I had the guide sheets. Well, then I had people asking me, well, do you train other coaches? And I thought, well, let me think about that. And I developed a course, and actually we're in launch week right now for becoming an Enneagram coach course where we bring people in and for 12 weeks they um, do an online course where they learn about becoming a coach. And it's been, has been brought or has brought so much significant change, not just in the coaches' lives, but the people that they're working. And I'm just, I sit back and I go, man, Lord, you're just so amazing because I have been wanting to multiply and disciple and all these things, but man, I would never have dreamed that you would have done it in this way. And so it's really just allowing myself to get out of the way and allowing God to do his thing (laughs) that it's made it possible. And I think that's true for all of us. Like if we just get out of our way, because we see life from our own vantage point, our own perspective, but it's not always true. And here's a big word that I always tell people, don't assume aside the situation or the relationship, meaning don't assume things that you think are absolutely true because you see it from your perspective. It may not be true and you might be killing the opportunity or the relationship. Sometimes we have to take a step back and say, okay, wait, what is my type saying? Is it accurate? Is it true? Is this my calling? And how do I trust and move forward? Sometimes it's by getting advice and sometimes that's just, you know, resting and waiting for the Lord to speak. And I, I have my own big moment where, um, so nines, we really get hurt and offended when we're overlooked, but we kind of train people to overlook us. Well, with the Enneagram, I knew that I had a lot to offer, and I had one incident where I was pretty overlooked, and when it happened, I was in my living room, and it it dawned on me that it had happened, and this was uh, over two years ago, and 
I stood up. <laughs> so nines, eights, and ones are in the anger triad. And nines suppress their anger and, and a lot of times don't know it's there. But man, <laughs> something burst that bubble that day. I stood up and I started walking out of the house. And as I was going, my husband was in the kitchen and he looked at me because he could feel the energy surging out of me, even though I'm just walking. Mm -hmm. And he was like, what? And I said, well, da, 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 da. And I just knew I had to get out of the house and I got in the car and I was driving and I was screaming for like 10 or 15 minutes. I felt so overlooked and so hurt um, because I was waiting for someone to call me out and to do something. Like I knew I had it in me, but why isn't anyone seeing it? And so as I was driving home, I felt like God saying, why are you so angry? And I'm thinking, hello, like, don't you see what just happened? And he, um, I felt like he said, um, uh, no, why are you angry? And then that's when the Holy Spirit reminded me and let me see that, oh, I'm overlooking myself. And it was at that moment that I realized either I show up for myself or I don't. And I can lean on God and he will make my path straight and clear, or I can keep hiding. And that was the work I had to do. I had to learn, I have to show up for myself and then it will bless others. And that has been my journey, which hasn't been easy, but it's been really, really good. Beth, that's so powerful because as you're saying that I can imagine, you know, any type, any person like that exact advice, like when you get out of your own way and mm -hmm. allow God to do the work in whatever capacity that looks like for you, then real change and transformation can happen. And also you can step into your calling. You can step into, um, you know, taking that risk that you want to take or um, which I think is so fascinating. And also, you know, you're saying, you know, here at the end of, you know, this conversation you're having in the car yeah, and, and just being like, you know, like, what's the problem here? And it's like, really, I'm in my own way and I'm overlooking myself. Yeah. Even though you may have thought at first, someone's overlooking me. Right. And, and I think for a one, for myself, sometimes it's like, well, other people don't think well of me or other people aren't going to, um, you know, like, which is my, which is not really the case. It's me not thinking well of me. Right. Right. And so, and that keeps me playing small and that keeps mm -hmm. me from stepping out and doing things. And, um, it, but now that I know that now that it's mm -hmm. I've kind of come to terms with in my life, I'm able to recognize it so much quicker. Right. And, and, and go, okay, Andrea, like, this is where you are playing small today. This is the negative voice, the ticker tape that you've rehearsed over and over and over and, you know, silence that. And what does God actually say about you? Right. And exactly. putting those practices into place for myself. And, and I know like even with coaching people, and I know you could probably speak to this um, from, from your vantage point as well, but I know like sometimes um, when we're coaching others and they're, they're stuck and they're not moving forward. It's hard to, you know, for them to do anything unless they make right. the decision. Yep. You can't coach them um, or coax even them right. into doing right. anything. Yep. It has to be a decision yeah. they're making. 
Absolutely. And, and that's where it's really great to walk alongside people and then to watch the transformation to happen. Because I honestly know, even though God has used some of my gifts and resources to enable them to wake up and move forward, they have to do it. And that's where the Lord comes in and, and wakes them up and shows them their value and shows them his love and encouragement for their type, not just based off of, because that's the, that's the thing about the Enneagram that's so great is when we coach people or pastor or mentor or whatever you want to call it, um, where we want to, again, speak in their mother tongue, talking to a type nine and to a type eight, you can't say the same things. You can't guide them in the same way. Like I, don't, I would never say to a nine what I would say to an eight. I mean, they're just completely different personalities. Now, the overarching concept of grace and love and forgiveness, all that stuff is the same, but how they need to hear it and see it is very different. And so we get the, the joy and the privilege of walking alongside, um, you know, my husband and I, we both coach and walking alongside people and encouraging them in the way they need to. And then just watching God do his work and just being the vessel. It's uh, truly remarkable. And I am very blessed in what I do for sure. Absolutely. One of the things that just stuck out to me as soon as you said that, and I was thinking about a church context and, you know, being a coach myself and also knowing the Enneagram, um, there are times when I am talking to someone where I do know their type and mm. being able to talk with them or disciple them or walk them through crisis or whatever can be a little easier when mm-hmm. I do know that. However, there are a lot of times in church leadership that people don't, they know nothing about someone's type or how they view the world or see themselves or anything. How has the Enneagram changed how you um, do leadership in church? Oh yeah, it is so great. So um, my husband is an executive pastor still, and he can still, he could speak more to that as what he does right now with it. But I used to be the administrative assistant many years ago when we were in a different church in a different state. And we were still using it. Even then I kind of brought it I kind of infect everyone I'm around with it. Um, But it was so great because I'm a nine, my husband is a six, and he's more of the counterphobic six of people understand the Enneagram where he can be more direct and straightforward, likes to fix problems. He has no problem looking at problems and dealing with them. Um, And then we had another type nine, and then our lead pastor was a type four. Well, Sometimes our pastor, who's a type four, again, remember we're talking about envy and, you know, feeling that shame. Is there something defective and flawed in me? So after a a sermon on Sunday, you know, he could feel maybe defective and flawed or, you know, what did people, you know, did they receive it well and all these kinds of thoughts. So on a Monday, you know, tackling all the problems that are happening in the church is not probably top of his list. Um, And so sometimes he would just come in and say, hey, I'm still kind of processing yesterday and is it okay if we come back to all of the issues on Wednesday when I'm doing a little better? And that was really helpful because my husband's go-to is to list out all the problems, not because he wants to be pessimistic and like here's, but he wants to bring restoration to situations and make things better. Um, And so by understanding one another, we could give grace and understanding and sympathy when needed and uh, shifting things around. But then if my husband was worried or concerned or, you know, someone going to harm or betray, you know, the community or him as a person, then the other pastor could step in and reassure him and give him the guidance that he needed. So um, 
it really does impact a church family if you're able to use it correctly. And I really do mean correctly. And people are like, well, what does that mean? Well, you cannot use it as a sword. You can't go, oh, you're being such a whatever number. Um, that only destroys relationships and destroys people. This is a very exposing typology we have to be very gentle with. Mm -hmm. And then we can't use it as a shield where it's like, well, I'm a nine, you know, I'm just going to be a little bit lazy. Uh, that's not going to help either. Um, and so we have to own our own stuff, give it back to the Lord, and then move forward with compassion and understanding and mercy and forgiveness. And that is what can transform churches and relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think as soon as I understood the Enneagram a little bit more, I recognized that there are whole leadership styles in churches based on a number. Right. And mm -hmm. um, if your leadership is driving something really based on how they view things, then it's right. really difficult for anyone else to, to do it any other way. Right. It's, exactly. It's yeah. Because, you know, if you take, yeah, if you take, let's say even a type three, like a senior pastor, who's a type three, they want to be the successful admired church with high status and high regard. Well, not that that in itself is wrong, but it can go off kilter if it negates the other important things that need, like we want Christ to shine. We want his community to shine. It's not about status. It's not about um, having so many people in the church. Um, and so if the, if that pastor who would be a type three would say, you know what, my value is not based upon how many people come or if the community sees us in a certain light, but it's based upon what God's calling and that I, I'm valued by him and that he cares about me and loves me simply for being me, not because of status, then that will permeate throughout the church and it will affect the church in such a beautiful and dynamic way, which is why when we were talking today about what is it, you know, what is it courageous for each type to be like, that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so for a type nine pastor, show up you know, be yourself, be courageous, be strong, be, uh, be confident in what God is giving you. That's hard for a nine because when there's, I mean, as we all know, church has conflict and when there's conflict, we don't want the type nine pastor to back away or to shy away from it. We want them to be bold and strong and courageous and say what needs to be said because they're going to do it in a peaceful, harmonious way, but we want them to bring it with strength. So it's kind of the servant leader type. Um, and so each of the types have its Achilles heel. And we don't want that to be the thing that's leading the church. We want the other side, the Christ-like side to be the one that's leading. That's fascinating. And, and I can imagine, you know, if you are owning a business, it would be a very similar mm -hmm. sense, you know, and yep. you had employees in, in any kind of leadership. If, if you're yeah. or parenting, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Um, yep. Because you can err on one side or the other. Yeah. Um, and, and even like in parenting, like, I, you know, I just said that, um, obviously there's a lot of parents that are listening to this. We have to be able to own our own stuff and to be able to admit and apologize to our children when, even if we did not intend to hurt or harm, my natural state as a nine can hurt and harm my family if I'm not willing to understand how they function. Not on purpose, 
but there are certain messages that my kids are wanting to hear, just like I'm wanting to hear as a nine. And I need to understand them to be able to give them what their heart longs to hear, but also to show them how the gospel answers that instead of saying, oh, well, this is how I see life. So I'm going to parent you the way I am. That isn't going to always work. And so for parents to lead by example and saying, this is where I'm struggling, this is where I'm having a hard time, allows their children to do it as well. Yes. So really, and now for kids, this is interesting because yeah. I've heard, you know, varying uh, responses on this, but when do you type kids? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, just from my own experience and also what I've kind of seen um, in the Enneagram kind of expert community is that we are born with our type, but that doesn't mean you're going to find their type straight away. Now, some can be obvious, but I still think you need to wait until they're probably in their early teenage to late teenage years to have them solidify. And the reason is, is there, even though their type is there, they're taking on, they're like sponges. Kids are great observers and horrible interpreters. And so they're taking in all of this information from their parents and their friends, and they're kind of morphing and molding along the way. Now, what you'll see is their personality popping up from time to time, but then it gets a little confusing. Like, well, is it this or is that? And for, I mean, I started with my kids being um, around three and five. And so, um, but there was years I was like, well, let's see, is my son a one, two or six? Cause he held a lot of those attributes. And my daughter was like, is she a two or a nine? And I really thought she was a nine until she revealed that she was a two when she was, I think 14. And she took the test and we read a lot about it. And she was like, oh no, this is totally me. And I'm like, really? And the reason why I thought she was more nice is because she was taking on a lot of me. Um, and so we have to be very careful with our kids in the sense not pegging them in a hole, knowing that it's there and God will, will reveal it in his due time. But being a student of our kids, being patient, being kind, trying to see how can I speak to them in a way that might edify and help them if there might be these two or three types. So I would say hold your, the numbers loosely. Like, you know, figure out what they're not. That's a little bit easier. Okay. They're not this, they're not that. And then the numbers that you're not sure of, just hold them loosely and see how parenting them from different viewpoints might be helpful. Um, but then when you find your kid's type, when they're old enough to say, yes, this is me, this is my core fear, my core desire, my core weakness. This is what I long to hear. Then you can start parenting from that vantage point. So like my daughter wants to know that she is wanted, um, that she doesn't have to give to get and so we have the privilege and the responsibility to parent her in the way she's made, right? In, in the bent uh, that she, or the direction she should go. And same with my son. You know, my son wants to know he is safe as a type six. Well, what does that mean for him and how can we demonstrate that to him? And so as they were growing up and we weren't fully, fully sure, we had to kind of go, okay, well, maybe he's a one, maybe he's a two, maybe he's a six. So we'll kind of parent from those three vantage points and hopefully God will use it. Um, we just have to trust the Lord. Um, and then with my daughter, we did the same. So those would be some things I would say is be patient, but be a student. Um, don't rush the process. Don't name your kids for them. Be very open and receptive. Listen to them, listen to their heart. Um, and don't force it on them, but then, I'll, but be the but be the person that says, "Hey, this is my personality. This is where I struggle. Um, would you forgive me? I'm sorry that I did whatever. Um, this is how my thought process." So my kids are 17 and 19. They fully know 
when mom is under stress, that she moves towards the six and she becomes testy and defensive, irritable, but they, they more often than not give me grace and understanding compassion because they know that I'm under stress. Now we'll need to talk about it and I'll need to apologize, but they now know why that happens and they don't have to go, oh, it's me, I'm the bad kid. They can go, oh, mom's under stress because of work or because of this. Um, and then also um, with that, um, my kids also know that by doing this work and becoming an Enneagram coach and putting all this stuff out there, they know how hard it is for me. And so they actually have been my biggest, me and my husband, my biggest cheerleaders because they see the impact it's having. And I know that <laughs> this is not an easy path for a nine. And so I love the fact that they know how to cheer me on. And then we just do it vice versa with each person in the family. Mm -hmm. So it can be very impactful for um, the family unit. Yeah. And cause even as you're saying, like, I would imagine you know, in my younger years, when I didn't know this, that I would assume if something was wrong in a relationship, what have I done? Versus, mm -hmm. you know, looking at another way of like, what's actually happening with the other person? Right. And I don't know. And it ha may not have anything to do with me. It may just be what's going on with them. And, right. And kind of understanding those. And of course, now, um, you know, I have done the Enneagram with my parents and my brother, because I wanted to know what are you, what type are you, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> although I could have read it at that point and been like, yeah, this is like, my dad's a one as well. Um, mm -hmm. My mom's a two and my brother is an eight. And, okay. Yeah. And so it was, it's been very fascinating for me even to, and then to think back, like, you know, I wonder what my grandparents were and Right. Oh, the, the family dynamics, even moving beyond that, um, to see, you know, where we're going. It's just very fascinating. It's all so fascinating. Um, yeah. I, I love, I love how you're talking about it and explaining it. And I'm, I'm sure that you have so much more that you could share, like so much more. I appreciate that you're, you've even shared as much as you have. Now, if people are interested in finding more about the Enneagram or they want to know about how they can work with you or become an Enneagram coach. Yeah. Like how do they find you? What's the process there? Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. So my website is your Enneagram And like I said, if they're wanting to find their type, there's a big button up at the top right hand corner. It says take a free assessment. And then in that, when you click on that, there's going to be three steps and I recommend them doing all three. Um, the first one is the free assessment. Uh, when you take that, you will get an email uh, summary of the top score that you came out as. Now we want you to um, it's a true or false. So only say it, you're, it's true if it's absolutely true, not just kind of true. Um, we want more falses than trues. And then the second step is that free PDF download. I would highly uh, recommend to print it off and to have fun with your friends. Like, which one are you? Which one has, is your top core fear, desire, and weakness? Um, and then the last step in there is the Discovering You course. And the Discovering You course is a two-hour presentation. It's basically basically a Cliff Notes version of a lot of complex books because Enneagram can be very complex. And so I simplify it and distill it down so it's very clear and concise and really fun. Uh, there's a 42-page or we're actually dwindling it down, same content, but we're making it smaller. So I'm not sure how much, might be like 20 pages by the time this comes out so that it costs less. Um, but there's going to be a workbook that comes with it so you can use it as a resource. Um, and that is going to help you to know what the Enneagram is, 
how it works as your internal GPS, how to keep on your best path and not veer off, but then an overview of all nine types. So not only is it going to help you to find your type, but it's going to help you to understand all nine types. And it's also going to help you to understand the Enneagram. Now, once you get past that and you're like, this is phenomenal, but what about my type? I want to know more about me. Then you want to go to exploring you. And I have an online course that takes you through five guide sheets, five coaching um, sessions, where I'm going to break down your personality into bite-sized lessons so that you can learn, stretch, and grow without being overwhelmed. Now, I do that also in private sessions. So if someone's like, I want to talk with you personally, that would be great. And then you just email me at info at Beth, or info at your Enneagram And you can say, I want private sessions for your um, exploring your type and we'll get you set up. But the online version is cheaper and it's a go at your own pace and you can watch it time and time again. And that's going to bring a lot of depth and insight to who you are and why you do what you do. And then for those that really want to go all out, we have the Becoming an Enneagram Coach course. It's a 12 class course with over 170 pages and uh, tools and resources to um, help bless others with the Enneagram. And it's just the best thing ever. So um, they can find that on our website too, under online courses. So that's, oh, and then the last thing I would say, follow us on Instagram. We have over, at least right now, over um, 17,000 followers. And it's a great place to learn about the Enneagram. Every day we have a different um, type that we go through a series for two weeks. And so every type gets their own little snippet on the topic and they get to learn from that. So awesome. That's amazing. I'm sure you probably have people definitely jumping on your site for sure. And I know because today, well, by the time this airs, we'll have been a, a month or so, but um, your Enneagram coach course closes today. Yes. The becoming, yeah, yeah. The becoming Enneagram coach course, but if they're interested, they can sign up to be notified and we can give them information um, kind of behind the scenes. Um, but we do open it twice a year, but it is really good and worth looking into and looking at the price and saving for it because it's really for not just people who want to become coaches. It's for counselors who want to implement it in their own practices pastors and ministry leaders who want to disciple because really remember that's my background is discipleship so I really kind of made it so that it's really discipleship even though we call it coaching um, and so if you're really wanting to bless people with the gospel that's really geared towards each type then this is the thing for you yeah that's amazing well Beth I appreciate so much especially on one of the busiest days for you um, doing a launch I know is not always easy and is very busy thank you so much for taking your time to Oh, it was my joy. Thank you for having me. Okay, for real. Was that not the best episode? I am totally geeking out on everything Enneagram. When she said either I show up for myself or I don't, I was completely convicted. What a great reminder that we're on a journey of self-discovery that will last our lifetime. And I want to encourage you that if you've not already discovered your Enneagram type, then head over to Beth's website and take the free assessment. Personally, understanding my typology has started this amazing transformation in my life. And I can't imagine life now without knowing the Enneagram. And all of Beth's information will be available for you at thecouragecast.com, as well as a link to the Enneagram assessment. Now, until next time, remember you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. The Courage Cast is produced by Stephen Crilly.